single person and among every person. And that suddenly they would all begin speaking in different languages, languages that they'd never known before. So it would be like if I was suddenly speaking in Cantonese and uh, you were speaking in Danish and you were speaking in Dutch and we were all speaking languages that we did not know. And then going out and not just speaking the languages that, that, thank you, the lights are good. Um, Not just speaking the different languages, but preaching the good news, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody around them. Now, This is definitely a miracle. And the text tells us that the people who encountered the miracle were astounded. I love how the text goes on to say, it says that all all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Everybody say that. What does this mean? mean? We're acting it out today. Uh, But others sneered. Uh, You guys don't have to sneer. It's okay. And they said, they are filled with new wine. Essentially, they, they decided to rationalize what had happened as the people being drunk. They decided that that meant that people were drunk. And so um, Peter rebuts this argument of people being drunk and explaining away the miracle by saying this, this line that I've quoted way too many times, but it's just too ridiculous of a response. Uh, Peter actually says, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. I mean, I don't know what they were doing at three uh, o'clock. In San Marino, don't they say, I'll, I'll say it's three o'clock somewhere. Isn't that the San Marino slogan around here? I've heard that. Um, but it's nine o'clock. And Peter says, that's not a way that you can explain away the miracle. I, four days ago, my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter went from speaking nothing, nothing. She would just grunt and, and kind of whine every time something was wrong, whether it was her teeth. She wouldn't even point at what it was that she wanted. She would just make noises to speaking two- and three-word sentences. And we were astounded. It's as though she went to sleep one day not knowing how to talk or to communicate. She knew what she wanted, but she couldn't communicate it. And the next day she woke up. And she was communicating exactly what she felt, uh, what she needed. Now, that was a little bit of a miracle for us, but you can imagine the miracle was compounded when it was a groom full of people, and they weren't just speaking the language that they had been taught since they were a baby. They were speaking a completely different language. And not only that, but they, they started to wander around this place that they were at, and they started to... Um, interact with people who knew those languages. And these people were hearing the good news of Jesus Christ in their own native language for the very first time in their life. This was a complete miracle. Now, what I find interesting about this is the confusion that was created by the miracle. That a lot of times, and I'm just curious, I, I know I can raise my hand, but I don't know. Have you ever had a miracle in your life or experienced a miracle or witnessed a miracle? I just like a show of hands. If something's popping into your head, if you've ever experienced or witnessed what you feel is a miracle in your life, show your hands just so that other people can see what they feel. Each one of these hands, there's a lot of hands showing in this room. And some of you have told me the miracles that you've encountered. Each one of these, uh, without Jesus Christ, the focus of it is confusing, to say the least. And Actually, a very important theological point about mission. We're going to go on a mission, Kara, to Malawi. A number of you are going on a mission to Thailand. Very important theological principle is that God was already there before you went on your mission. That God was already working miracles in the lives of the people before you went there. 
And any person that you seek to reach out to with the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to share the good news, it's important for you to know that Jesus has already been working in their life. That Jesus has already done amazing things in their life. And the key is to take the confusion that they're living in, the, the things that they've rationalized and said, oh, that's, that's just drunkenness, or that's just maybe some neurons firing in a strange way, or that's just, they might ratchet it up to uh, some crazy version of autism spectrum or something. And those, the, sometimes those things are correct, but there are real miracles that take place in the world. And what Peter does in the midst of the confusion demonstrates that he is full of the Holy Spirit. It shows to the people around him and to us that he is full of the Holy Spirit. He starts sharing the good news. He starts, starts sharing his story of what he's experienced when he encountered Jesus Christ. He starts to talk about Jesus' life and his love and his ministry and the ways that he cared for people and he healed people. And Peter is just lifting up Jesus above himself in front of these people. And he's just telling the authentic things he's encountered and what he saw. Now, Peter was there when Jesus was baptized. Peter was there when Jesus was crucified. And Peter is telling these people that he was there when Jesus came back to life three days later and conquered death. And Peter's telling these people that he was there when Jesus walked around for 40 days. Did you know this? Some people don't know this. He came back to life and he walked around and met with people and he ate with people and he taught people. It says that he taught them all of the law and all of the scriptures. He walked through things. He created clarity out of the confusion for the disciples and then at the end of the 40 days, he, went, he said, meet me on the edge of town at a place called the Mount of Olives. Have you heard of the Mount of Olives? You have? Okay. The Mount of Olives is something that was prophesied that would be a very important place in the conquering of all the enemies of darkness. Now, this nation called Israel had lots of enemies. And I can guarantee you that each person in this room has lots of enemies in their life. And the promise to the people of Israel is that the enemies would be conquered starting on the Mount of Olives with the Messiah. So when Jesus says, meet me out on the Mount of Olives, what do you think that the people thought that, that were going out to meet him? They thought this is the big moment when something is going to go down. Something big is going to happen. In the Bible, the way it, the prophecy describes it is very, very, uh, well, it's very vivid. <laughs> and you, in those kind of language of a prophecy where where the Messiah is standing on the mountain and the mountain splits in two and all the people who are innocent run away and all the people who are there just get clobbered. And it's very intense. It goes on and on and on. But they knew that this was the big moment. At least they thought it was. And they met Jesus and they said to Jesus, and this is going back just a chapter earlier in Acts. And they say to Jesus these things. They say, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? You get it? Is this the moment? Is it go day? Do we need to begin to run through the mountains and escape what's about to happen? And he replied, It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. He says, None of your business. Keep your, keep your eyes on your own plate, is what Jesus said to them. But he did say, This is your business. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my... You, it's not, you can be. Hey, you guys can be my witnesses in Jerusalem. No, no, that's not what Jesus said to them. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, all of the earth. And so 10 days pass after Jesus, Jesus then, after he says these words, he ascends, he levitates. Yes, I'm telling you the truth. You can read the scripture for yourself. He floats right up above the Mount of Olives and he floats up into a cloud and he disappears. And the disciples are standing there with their heads looking up to sky and some angels stand beside the disciples. And, and, and it's kind of humorous what the angels say. The angels said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you. They're just kind of, kind of it's, it's a little bit of a biblical joke. But then they go back into Jerusalem and they start sorting through the confusion of this. But one thing that's really important is that this is the church without Jesus for 10 days. Without Jesus in their midst. Now, by the way, the church without Jesus is not a church at all. The church without Jesus is a club, as Bong said earlier. The church without Jesus has no purpose. It has no mission. It has no direction. Now, this is what Peter says to them. He says, this is the power of the Holy Spirit that was promised to us, coming to us, filling us. And he was using that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was using him, I should say, to preach the good news and to point to Jesus Christ. And this is a really important thing about the Holy Spirit. This is deep theology here. The important thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit never points to itself. Right? The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where we get a little deeper. The church is only the church because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, the church, when it is alive with the power of the Holy Spirit, when it's being the church, is never about the church. The church, a church can never be about itself. The church, by definition, because it's created by the Holy Spirit, is all about Jesus Christ. The church is, I mean, just, just, I just want to say it again so that you can process it, because it's so deep. The church is not about the church. The church is about Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's about loving others with the love of Jesus Christ so that they can come to know Jesus Christ. See, it's all about, you hear the Jesus Christ in there? It goes on and on and on. It's unfolding. You, it's Pandora. Pandora's uh, little, those little Russian eggs. You keep opening it. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. It's just, yeah, that's, that's exactly what we're getting to. And so Peter preaches to them, and they answer with these words. I love what, the, what all of these people, and now the crowd has grown maybe to thousands of people. And the crowd says to them, what does it mean? What should, oh, sorry, what should we do? And Peter says to them these words, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says that that day, Scripture says that that day about 3,000 people were added to the kingdom, were added to the church, were baptized and turned away from, away from themselves. They turned away from a selfish way of living and became a people who were about Jesus Christ. They turned away from anything else that isn't Jesus Christ. You know, the definition of sin is when you're doing something that's not of God. When it's not pointed toward God, where your footsteps are walking away from God. That's the error. That's the, walk, that's the movement away. Sin is essentially means that you missed the target. Some of you at family camp 
did the archery session, and it's sin is when you're missing a bullseye, when you're way, way off, or even just a little bit off. But, but, but the reality is that Jesus Christ is the target. And so we're always trying to zero in on Jesus Christ. And that's what we do as a community. We turn each other in toward Jesus Christ. And, and at the archery, our archery um, thing at family camp, there, there'd be a little trainer that would just nudge the elbow, lift the elbow, help them kind of get a little bit closer to the bullseye. That's what we do to each other as we walk through life together. Now, uh, I'll get a show of hands. Is there one person that would like to read this next portion of scripture? Just one person? I mean, you can, more people can raise their hands and I'll choose one of you. How's that? Can one person read? Thank you very much. Luis, uh, will you read this next piece of scripture? Wow. I went to a pastor when I started a church in Pastor Robles with my brother. We both went to visit a pastor who was a pastor of a megachurch. And uh, his name is Rick Stedman. Have you ever heard of his father? He was a pastor, Stedman, uh, in the north. He kind of, kind of bigwig. So you go to this person thinking, oh, okay, maybe you can give me some insider tips, some tricks on, on, on how, how to survive this ministry thing, how to, how to make it through the day. Have you got anything, anything to give us? So we sit down with him for a cup of coffee at his fancy, shiny church. And he has this great conversation to us. And he says, I I said, have you got any tips? And he said these words, love one person at a time. I said, you got to tell me there's more. No, just one person being loved at a time. And that's how we ended up with a church of 7,000 people. And I kind of walked away from that meeting thinking, what a jerk. <laughs> he could have told me something. I mean, clearly he's just given me this, this line. So then we went to Highlands Church and we started this church in the cent- central coast of uh, California. And we kind of just started preaching the gospel. And we were wondering, what, how are we going to move forward with this? What is going to be the goal? What's going to be the purpose of this? And, and we'll just put Jesus Christ at the center of everything we do. And sure enough... God brought one person every single day for three years straight, the three years I was there, for we had a thousand people come to the church. But we loved one person every single day, just one person at a time, and, and they developed connections and meaningful friendships, and they shared bread together, and they prayed together. Now, there's this great line, and I think that it's, it's going to be, I'll send it to you in an email today, or later today. And if you don't have, if you don't get the email, put your name down on the fellowship pad and I'll make sure you get it. This is the scripture. The scripture says, so those who were welcomed, who welcomed his his message were baptized. And that day, about 3000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, these are really four key ingredients. But they all maintain that same definition of the Holy Spirit being behind them. 
all of them are pointing to Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing is the teaching, the apostles' teaching. Now, does anyone, can anyone think of how we have the apostles' teaching in our midst? Hint, hint. The word of God. Yeah, absolutely. We have the followers of Jesus Christ who actually wrote down their experiences and the words that Jesus spoke to them and in their midst. So we actually have the apostles' teaching. And then we also have, as fellow apostles, as fellow followers of Jesus Christ, the teaching that we learn from one another. And as we, it's, it's very interesting, the Torah, the Torah is, a, is, is another name for the law of God or the scripture. This is the Torah. And when we learn the Torah, we learn how it applies to our specific situation. Each one of us is coming with a different, different perspective and from a different place. And it's helpful for us to learn the Torah together and help each other to understand what the Torah, the law, the word of God, the voice of God means in our lives as we walk forward. Now, the second thing is that of the fellowship. Now, fellowship is a Greek word, koinonia. Say that with me, koinonia. Koinonia. It sounds very money-oriented, but it's not. Um, The word koinonia has two elements to it that are really important. Fellowship. Just think about fellowship. We have fellowship hour afterward. Just, this, is, this is the hope or the dream of what would happen during or the fellowship that we have in here during meet and greet. Deep friendships. The first element of koinonia is a deep river of friendship. These are not the kind of friends that are fly-by-night, fair-weather friends. I like you when the times are good, but I don't like you when the times are tough. These are deep friendships. Deep, deep rivers of friendship. That is koinonia. It's something you can hold on to. It's something you can rely on. It's something you can wrap your arms around and it will never disappear. That's koinonia. But it's not koinonia if it doesn't point to Jesus Christ. Absolutely. It has to point to Jesus Christ for it to be koinonia. The second thing is a common vision, goal, and purpose. I'm not making this up. This is what koinonia is. This is what fellowship is. It's to have a common vision, a goal, and purpose. Can you imagine anybody got an idea of what our common vision, goal, and purpose could be? Anyone? Absolutely. You're starting to catch on here. Yes. To point to Jesus Christ with everything we do. That's why we're so free to have so many ministries all over the place. Someone says, hey, can I start a small group? Sure. Have fun. Is it going to point to Jesus Christ? Yep. All right. Go do it. I want to start a video ministry. Oh, really? You do? Okay. Is it going to point to Jesus Christ? Yes. Okay. Go for it. See, we have so much freedom in the ministry that we do at this church. It drives some people crazy. But the reality is that all of the ministries, and I hate to break this to you, every single ministry, every single class, every single thing that we do, it's all the same thing. None of them are different, really. They're all just the same thing. Presented in a different way. Presented in a language that people can understand. Presented by the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that... So the old guys get together and speak about Jesus Christ with each other because they speak a language. Uh, when they say World War II, it means something completely different when, than when the young guys get together. And sometimes when we get together as a community, we have that shared experience as all multi-generational. We have multi-generational ministries here. We have circle of women. They speak, there is a reality, folks. Women do speak a special language. But not not just women, men, 
couples, singles, married people. There's these languages that we speak, and when we hear the word of God spoken in the language that we understand, it's like something seeks deep in. We have grief ministries for people who've lost their best friend, who've lost their loved one in life. And when they hear another person who's experienced that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they come alive in a new way. It's like, it's like life is being brought to the dry bones of their life. And the, and the third thing is breaking of bread. It's the, it's the eating together. It's the fellowship. And the breaking of bread is really having a meal with one another. But the Jews always believed, in the Jewish tradition from which this whole thing comes, I can talk to you about that if you didn't know that, but the, the Jewish tradition teaches that a meal without God at the center is empty calories. It means nothing. It does not nourish the soul. So think about that when you go back to your dinner tables today. How can you point your dinner conversations back to Jesus Christ? And the last thing is prayer. These are the four elements. And I'll send them an email later today. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Praying together, praying alone, praying always. Now, I am so in awe of how I've seen all of these things already at this church over the time that I've been here. I've seen this time and time again. And I apologize that you don't get to see it like I do. I get to see the fellowship. I get to see the koinonia. I get to see the breaking of bread, the deep friendships. I get to see it because I get the good news pointed at me email after email. It's almost too much every week. Hey, did you hear about this great thing that's happening, this new group that's happening, the way in which we're getting together and supporting each other through a tough time? That's really good. It's amazing. This is happening. This life exists. And we get to be the people that go out into the world and recognize that not everybody has, ever, has, has experienced the things that we've experienced. That they're living in isolation from this. And so that is the important thing. Remember, Jesus says, you will go into the nations to share the good news. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit through us. That's the reason why we haven't all been gathered together and taken up to heaven with Jesus. We have a mission. We have a purpose to share the good news, to point the world to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is alive and with us. We have something really, really special here in this birthday, this Pentecost, this, this baptizing of, of our life. Now, when God created the world, God breathed life into humanity. And when God created the church through the power of the holy breath, the wind, God breathed life into the dry bones of the church. And what, what, what occurred is what we experience today. Thousands of churches in L.A. today, right now, pointing to Jesus Christ. Thousands of sermons, millions of sermons preached today. Millions of hearts being changed. Mine among, among all of them. Let's pray. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit at work in this world. We pray for your Holy Spirit at work in this room. And we pray your Holy Spirit at work in our lives not be self-centered, that we not be self-focused. Your Holy Spirit be pointed to Jesus Christ, every fiber of our being, our tongues, our, our hearts.